0: Well, again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, My name is Pastor Micah, and if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here. If we can serve you, help you in any way today, please let us know. We would love to do that. Um, So this coming week, uh, actually tomorrow morning, Courtney and I are leaving uh, for a couple days. We're getting to go down and spend uh, a handful of days with other senior pastors and their wives uh, from the GCC uh, and just kind of have some time with them and refresh a little bit. Um, and so I also took off this week in order to kind of wind down for that. And so we have a guest speaker with us today that I want to introduce to you that I'm excited to, to bring in. Um, this is Steve McGinnis. Steve is the, um, what's your official title now at Peoria? Missions, missions pastor and family, missions and family pastor at um, Summit Point Church in Peoria. I got it. Uh, and, uh, but he's especially uh, close to my heart. Steve was my church planting coach when we were going through core group in the first year of our church here at Harvest. And uh, there were many days through that long core group period that if I wouldn't have had guys like Steve in my corner um, counseling me and praying for me and and cheering me on that I'm not sure we would have got to (laughs) here. So so thankful for his investment in me and ultimately in our church through that. And so he has been a huge, whether you know it or not, he has been a huge blessing to our church over the last several years. And so I'm um, thankful for him to come today and to share God's word with us. So let's welcome Steve to the stage, can we?
1: That's well, I, I will tell you that was a lot easier of an introduction and knowing when to come up than last week. So last week I was in Jacmel, Haiti, and uh, we've, we've got a training center down there, as, as Pastor Micah said, uh, a part of my role as missions pastor I also work a lot with church planting church planters and and uh, been a part of several um, with uh, domestically obviously your church here is one but also uh, many internationally um, but last week pastor Abraham at harvest jock uh, he was speaking in French Creole and he twice used my name so I started to get up and then I realized it wasn't time yet, and I waited until he paused, because I just didn't know, because he wasn't speaking English. So thank goodness we're for an English introduction here. But, uh, but as Pastor Micah said, so I am the missions and family pastor, so uh, part of all of the missions and doing a lot of traveling and working overseas, as well as our local outreach, and then I uh, also am over what we call family ministries, children's through high school ministries, and kind of at an executive pastor level, uh, kind of managing staff and that as well but uh it is a it is a joy to be here it is great to be here and see what god's doing here in this place and with all of you and uh seeing over the years the prayer and 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 really just god at work in that so uh just a little bit about me um i am married uh, to my wife here coming up on 30 years and uh, we have three adult children who are married as well uh, two that live in the Peoria area where we are, out, and uh, one set in Nashville, Tennessee, as well. Um, we kind of have a little bit of a crazy life uh, as we are getting bigger. First of all, we are really fired up about this whole thing about being grandparents, and uh, we have good assurance that that is right around the corner because uh, no official announcements have been made, but we're, you know what I'm saying? Okay, I'm just saying, we've been spending a lot of time in the baby section there. they got a lot of cool things that you can get. There's pack and plays and all kinds of stuff. Oh, man, we're on it. Looking forward to that. But right now, uh, my, our niece uh, lives with us. Who uh, My brother and sister-in-law have been uh, in Costa Rica for the last 10 years. He also works with church planters and stuff there. And so she's in college. She lives with us. Uh, uh, Pastor Abraham Comper in Jacamel, Haiti, his son who's also in college. He lives with us, and so finishing up his second year as well. We've got a Korean high school student that lives with us, and rumor has it we've got a Chinese student that's moving in this week. So at any given time, you could have six different languages spoken in our home, and I only speak one of them, and not even well at that. So uh, so it, it's a little crazy, but we love uh, love, love people, love, love seeing what God's doing. It was a great way. We've had a lot of Uh, International folks who live with us over the last decade or so is a great way for our kids to grow up in cross-culture And yet still in our home and some neat things uh, with there as as we see what God's doing not just in our backyard But around the world as as well Um, Well, that's a little bit about me Uh, I'd love to uh, jump into the the Bible here if you got your Bibles turn to first Corinthians chapter 13 and uh I know Pastor Mike has been working through the book of Acts and we're going to take a little jump out of that here for a week. Uh, But yet I think you're going to see a lot of very similar themes that we're going to be here in this passage here as we look at at 1 Corinthians 13. Yes, I know that if you go to a wedding, chances are 50-50 chance that this passage will be read at the wedding. And that's a good thing. Uh, but I want to challenge a little bit of your thinking in the fact that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that this is about marriage. Because in actually the context it's not. It applies in marriage. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, this passage of scripture actually is talking about the church. And uh, here we see the, the, the idea of a church that Back in Peoria, by the way, we just changed our name to Summit Point Church. We were Harvest Peoria. That was some of the confusion. Good job, way to keep up there. But uh, same church, uh, just new name, that's all. But uh, we say it in our church there, uh, we're always going after a white-hot church. And we say a church on fire, that white-hot, we kind of give the idea, and we've used this over in a lot of illustrations of the, it's kind of like that building that charcoal. And you get that right in the middle, you light it, you get it all fired up, and it just gets that white Hot embers, and then we start bringing in the the, the black charcoal that, that's cold and hasn't caught fire yet. Start nestling, nestling that up in there, and to get that white hot principle, it's that church that is on fire for Jesus Christ. The church and the people in that church that are so excited about Jesus Christ. By the way, that's how that's what evangelism is. I am so excited about Jesus, I can't help but tell you what he's doing in my life. It's real simple. And so we want you fired up. And and so that's the idea, and that's really where we find in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and really it's one of the most carnal of churches, the most ungodly in many ways. So many different influences of the time and culture and pagan practices and all that's going on as you work through the book of 1 Corinthians, that first letter Paul wrote. He gets to chapter 12, and he starts to talk about spiritual gifts, and, and, and so when people are spirit empowered and empowered, and that church is spirit empowered and what those gifts are and how all of those gifts play together into accomplishing the purpose that God has called us to do within the church. Chapter 14 then on the other side of the passage we're looking at is kind of going through and talking about what it looks like within the services of church and, and what it looks like in this specifically with prophecy and with, with the gift of tongue. And, and, the, and the orderly process of, of the service and, and, and the, those times those corporate gatherings that get together, it kind of ends with, with uh, or in the, in the middle there, um, where, where the, your services are so on fire and rocking people, verses 24 and 25 of chapter 14. But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. So falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, truly God is among us. That's saying, this is what those services are going to look like. That when, when an outsider comes in, they may not understand what's going on, but something's different. That the Spirit of God is working through the people of God in there. And they're like, I don't know what this is, but God is in this place. Amen. That's that's kind of what we're going for. And how do we get that? Well, well, that's really where we find 1 Corinthians 13. And so 1 Corinthians 13, you you, you see there, uh, starting in verse 1. If you're taking notes there, the, the first point is this. Value love because it's most important. Value love because it's most important. We see here in verse 1. And if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I've gained nothing. So we see here, we just came off of chapter 12 and those, the spiritual gifts that were laid out that Paul said, these are the, the gifts and that and the Holy Spirit empowers believers to working together They can accomplish the work of God. And he, and he actually lists five of those spiritual gifts here in this passage here in these first few verses. And, and he says, if I speak of the tongues of men and angels and, and the gift. Of, of being to proclaim and to understand in languages, whether, whether it was the gift of tongues, whether it was the gift of prophecy or, or that, where, where I can say as men and angels in the language of angels, if I could do all of that, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I, you're fortunate today, I did not bring my clanging cymbal with me. But the idea is, and you think of just this giant gong or this, that it's the most uh, offensive sound that you're going to hear. That, it's, that it just, just kind of gives you goosebumps, and, and you just can't stand to be around that annoying sound. That if, if you're doing these wonderful things and communicating truth, but yet you're doing it without love, it's offensive. He goes on he says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, if I, if, I can, if I have powers of being able to understand and to discern what is coming even in the future, or if I understand mysteries, these things that are, that are many times left hidden, there they, that God gives us, that he just kind of gives us little bits and pieces about and we kind of piece it together, but I can understand the mysteries of God. And if I have all knowledge and complete thought and how it all fits together and the discernment that goes into that. And if I have all faith, the the kind of faith that it says, the mustard that can move the mountains, the trust that God is at work and to be able to actually do some miraculous things even, moving mountains, here's the idea. If you have that kind of faith, but don't have love, you're nothing nothing. It's worthless. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, if, if not only that, but let's say I, I have all generosity, enough that, 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 that I'm willing to give up all that I have, everything that I have, that I value, that I pour out, and I'm willing to give that up for Christ, for the church, but I don't do it out of love. I've gained nothing. If I'm willing even to sacrifice myself, even to the point of being martyred for my faith, but don't have love, it's worthless. That's a whole lot of descriptors, isn't it? It's a whole lot of the things that we do in church that we do as a community of believers only kind of on steroids, taken to the farthest extent, but saying, look, no matter what you do, if you don't do it in love, then it's worthless. It's futile. It means nothing. A a church that is on fire for Jesus Christ must be motivated out of love. Love needs to be that thing that's at the center. It is the lubrication that's in all things. It's allowing everything to happen. That's enabling everything to happen. We need to be valuing love over everything else is what Paul is saying here. So a couple of questions I have is, is this. First of all, so what does Scripture say, whom am I to love? So what's that look like? Who, who am I supposed to show this love to? Well, if you go through your Bible here, um, here's at least six that I came up right away uh, of, of whom I'm to love. Number one, we're to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Part, second part of that verse, we're to love our neighbor. We're to love God. We're to love our neighbor. Matthew 5 says that we're to love our enemies Boy, that's a tough one isn't it we're to love even the people that oppose us that hurt us that attack us we're to love our enemies we're to love our family our spouse our children you see this within marriage Ephesians 5 talks about in marriage passage we see it with our, with children and, and moms and dads to love their their children we're to love our friends John 15 no greater love than this than a man laid down his life for a friend. The ultimate act of love. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Really, that's kind of it here in this passage, the, the, the blanket here of context that he's talking about within the church especially. We're to love brothers and sisters in Christ. So that, that's just a taste of whom we're love. Basically, we're to be loving the people that God puts in our path that we come across it's hard to find someone that won't fit in one of those categories am I right and so we are to be known by our love and so the next question that I have as I evaluate it at least myself is so so what trips me up in that what, what is it that uh, that gets in the way of my love here were, here were four obstacles that I found in my love number one is my comfort, my comfort. I don't know about you guys, but who likes to be comfortable? Who likes to, you know, kind of feel good in things? I, you, you know, you you start evaluating how um, committed to comfort you are, especially when you travel and uh, spend a lot of time on airplanes. My uh, assistant that works. Uh, Uh, with me uh, in uh, church Uh, she knows I've got some rules that I go by of where I like to sit on planes where I don't want to sit on planes sometimes if she could control it whom I'm sitting by but I really can't control that as much but uh, there's rules that if it's within this price range I'm willing to upgrade you know what I'm saying and the older I get the more those boundaries seem to expand a little bit here and, and the comfort level but but so often this one of the things that trip me up in 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 my love is 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 that, that I, I won't be comfortable you're now infringing on comfort I get put off with things and people because I want to be comfortable number two is 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 my plans or expectations I haven't in my mind how it's going to go I know what this day is going to bring I've got the things that I want to accomplish today and then there's people that are around me and things and it starts messing up my plans messing up the expectations that I have Uh, we teach often that uh, frustration is a result of expectation kind of one of the marriage counseling 101 things here that we walk through is the fact that you've got expectations, your spouse has expectations. A lot of times those aren't the same. And sometimes you see some very loving responses because of that. So my expectations, number three, my desires. First uh, John 2 says that we have, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know, what, what, what feels good, what, what looks good, what shows me off, is kind of the idea there. What looks good and presentable and admirable, what feels good, kind of goes back to comfort, but also in the pride of life, what shows me it lifts me up to other people, my desires. And then number four, kind of just wraps around blanket here. It's, it's my idols anything that I'm worshiping in the place of God. Guys, we all have idols, right? We are are created worshipers. We worship all the time. We're always worshiping something. Sometimes I'm worshiping God. I will will always find something to worship, though. We're created worshipers. And so anything that's taking that place is is an idol in my life at that moment. Without love, it's meaningless. And it's so easy to become unloving. It's so easy to get tripped up by one of these things here that we find. You know, I mentioned before, this is not uh, a, a marriage marriage passage but yet one of the best places we see the, the need for love is also within the home and within marriage relationship as well um, we, we see in, in other passages of Scripture that uh, especially in, in Ephesians chapter 5 that that it talks a little bit about the the husband and the wife and the relationship and dynamic that takes place even to the fact that we're different and we're created differently and, and it says there Ephesians 5 and see that husbands love your wife and wives, reverence, respect your husbands. It, it, it kind of gives the idea that, 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 w- the, that we need a, the, the love, and it, ultimately it, it is love, but it expresses itself very differently between the needs that, that a woman, the way she is wired to, to receive love and the way that the husband there, the need for respect. One of the worst things that you could say to a husband as a wife is, is saying, I, 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 I love you, but I don't respect you. I love you, I'm committed to you, but I don't respect the way that you live or the fact of how you provide or those things. I don't respect you. Something that, that just will, will crush a, a man and we're, we're wired with that need for respect. But the converse of that, though, is the fact that the worst thing that you could say to your wife is, I appreciate all that you do, and I think that you're a good uh, mother, or that you're a good wife, but I don't love you. We so want and want need that love. And, and for a husband, so many times we can say, look, I, look, I, I provide for you. I, I, I protect. I do these things. But I don't love you. How's that going to go over in your marriage, husbands? Doesn't mean a thing, does it? Yeah, those things are nice. But without love... It's not near enough. And that's what Paul's saying here. So how about you? What what are you valuing more than love? What is it in your life? Think back over the last week. What is it in your life that you may need to sit down? That you may need to say, this needs to, 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 to be set down and I need to go and pursuing a different direction. What is it in your life? Got it? So, are you showing love? Really the idea though, so what's that look like? So, So how do I evaluate whether I am loving or not? Paul goes on in this passage. Point number two, display love as an act of worship. Display love as an act of worship. Look at verse four. We see now some descriptors of love. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We see this, and many of you are kind of mouthing the words right now. You can, we, can, we can repeat those things, but, but really to walk through, what does love look like? Well, Paul gives us a, a, really a description here in great detail. We see love is patient. Love has the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. It's really what that, 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 that patience, that long suffering, being able to suffer long. And with dealing with people of saying look i'm willing to be stepped on without retaliating, patient love is kind it's actively doing good it's gracious it's serving the those that are around us. Love does not envy or boast envy or boast kind of I, I i want to uh, I, I want to have it and i I, I want to, to show you what I have is kind of the idea. I envy it, I want it, and then I want you to know that I've got it. right? It's boastful, it's arrogant in that. Love is um, not arrogant. It's, it's not rude. It, it, it doesn't behave unseemingly. It doesn't have poor manners. Or, or better yet, we would say it just the opposite, it is well-mannered. The, the purpose of manners, it's courtesy, it's a way to show love with, with strangers and people that we come in contact with. Uh, one of the things I so appreciate uh, it, as I go and spend time in, in especially the Haitian culture, uh, there are just so many different, different things that they have in place where, where, where they are so gracious to outsiders and visitors so many different ways and in the church and things that they go out of their way to make sure that you're comfortable and well cared for and they do it for the, each other as well I think some of it because of the extreme poverty and all that takes place there's such a, 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 a desire to be caring for each other and so uh, um, it just, it, it's just kind of almost ingrained in the culture and especially within the Christian culture there in, in Haiti and it, it's, it's not rude and, and, and it, 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 it kind of makes me laugh though because it's in most things that is the way their culture is but not on airplanes I'm just going to say that's not when it comes to getting in lines again it's so we have to coach people and Americans as we get you know we, we have such a, a a understanding of order and so we know if you're kind of first and you just and no one you know, everyone just sort of naturally forms lines and things like, especially the airport and on planes. Not so in the Haitian culture. It is a, I mean, if there's a little bit of space, someone is moving into that space. And for the longest time, I would get so offended by that. And then I realized they're not being offensive. That's, there's just space there. It's how they do. But, but in most things, it, it's that not being rude. How's that look you being loving guys how's that look for you in the home your wife say you're courteous rude? he goes on he said it does not insist on its own way it's not self-seeking it's not saying it's got to be my way my way or the highway It, does not, it is not irritable or resentful. It's not easily annoyed or, or, or provoked. Um, it, it's not looking to get even with, or, or it's not keeping accounts, this ledger there of whether I'm ahead or behind, or you've offended me, or, or where that goes, and I'm, I'm keeping track of all that, of who's, who's there and looking to retaliate or resentful of these things, keeping accounts of that. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It doesn't take pleasure. It takes pleasure in in the things that are right, not in, in, it doesn't take pleasure in sin. It rejoices in the truth and what's honest and right and celebrates that. It bears all things. It's all, love is is always willing to, to protect, looking to protect. Love covers, it supports, other passages of Scripture, love covers a multitude of sins. It bears with. It, it, it also it, it bears with and it believes all things. It's, uh, it, it's trusting. It, it, it's thinking the best of other people. It's giving them the, the benefit of the doubt. We see this so often. Again, within the family, you're always quick to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I mean, if you knew the kind of day that I had this today, whoo, and oh my goodness, and all of the, and the stress and the pressures, and we're quick to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but many times not quite so quick in giving our spouse or our kids or our co-workers or our family, extended family, the benefit of the doubt. But love believes all things. It hopes all things. It has a positive outlook, expecting the best for others it's not critical it's not negative it it hopes all things it endures all things it perseveres it's forgiving It, it keeps going on no matter what no matter what the offense no matter what the hurt no matter what the misunderstanding but saying I am I'm choosing to love this person Okay, notice all of these are what? They're actions. They're not feelings. And so often we're so quick to say love, and I, I feel love, I am in love, and, and truly there is the emotion of love, and, and I'll just we say this in premarital counseling a lot, we do uh, a lot of that, and I do a lot of weddings as well, and, and family ministries, and say, look, you, you, you gotta have the feelings, I need to be there, but that's not really what love is. It's saying I'm choosing to love you no matter what. That's the vow of marriage. It's a covenant. No matter what you do, I'm going to love you. And that love's going to be action. It's going to follow this definition. And it adores all things. Love never ends. Love never fails. Love doesn't fall away like the petals of a flower in time and season where it just starts to fall away. Love never ends. So let me ask you How's your love? <laughs> How are you doing at loving? Before you answer that, turn to the person beside you and say, How am I doing at loving? Go ahead. Yeah some of you guys look really nervous right all of us. some of you guys like, you've prayed it in your prayer Some you or before communion come on now let's be let's be honest it seems like man those Sunday morning rides into church sometimes are the worst aren't they that used to be man when our kids were some of the <laughs> some of the most turmoil and struggles and short temper and quick to respond and all the things I told you you see a little bit of the crazy in our house It is so easy to be unloving. It's so easy to go right back to my comfort, my plans, what I've got, all of these things, and that's what drives. And so how do we do this? How do I love? We see this description here. A church that's on fire is motivated by love. It it, it has to be preeminent. But as you see... The, the, the point here that we're making is that we are to display love as an act of worship. How do we love? It flows from our worship. It flows from our worship. Where do we get that from? Well, we are to love because we are loved. We love others because God first loved us. We love because God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Literally the motivation, the impetus, how we go about loving, it has to flow from God. It is the very nature and essence of God. It's who God is. You cannot see God without love. And be careful because it, we're not talking about our, our, our Western culture definition of love that we see. Because sometimes things that, 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 that we see that God does, we say, How, that seems so unloving and yet it can be the most loving thing. Because he's loving with our best interest in mind in the long, in the long run. Our worship, we worship a God. It's, it's about God's will, what brings glory to God, and, and is in my best interest and benefit to me when we do that. Not just for the moment, for the here and now, but for eternity. And so we see it flows from God. Mark 12 tells us this. It's, it's the great commandment here. It says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, And strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's no coincidence the order that we find that loving others comes from loving God, from experiencing the love of God in us. And so, how do we go about love? How do we how do we be motivated by love? We say it this way here in in where I'm from in our church in Peoria. It's there's there's a three-step process. Okay? Everybody, I I should have included the graphic here. Everybody just draw, if you're taking notes, just draw a triangle. Okay? And the bottom left-hand corner is right here, the top's up here, the bottom right-hand corner is there. Yep. Okay. In that bottom left hand corner, first it starts with encounter God. It starts with encounter God. These are all three E's here they encounter God this is when we spend time with the Lord it's when we hopefully daily and that moment by moment we open up God's Word and we hear from him we spend time with him we converse with him really through this whole process here but you want to worship God it starts with encountering God Encountering God in his word and and, and specific revelation, but also even as we see God at work and general revelation of nature and all that, that we see the God, the the creator and sustainer of the universe. We spend time with God. It starts with that encounter. And then we start up this triangle, up this mountain here, up here to exalt God. I'm going to tell you, this is a step that so often is, is misplaced because we exalt God Down in the bottom right-hand corner, then, is, is to engage. Encounter, exalt, engage. So many times we want to just encounter God. We open up our Bible. We say, this is what it says. And then we go right to the, and this is what I need to do. It's not wrong. It's just incomplete. Okay? We call that muscling it. I'm just trying to do it myself. I'm just going to work really hard. Stop doing this and just start doing this and I'm just gonna muscle it and you can muscle it for a little while. And then you start feeling guilty. Guilt makes a long, guilt is a long-term, or a lousy long-term motivator. It <laughs> doesn't last, right? The shame, the guilt, the, the, from muscling it. And so there's more than that. Instead, we encounter God and then we exalt God. Some of the things we see in scripture there where it says of, of abiding in Christ, John 15. Where we're spending time, we're relationally abiding, staying time, hanging out with Christ. We, we, we behold, you see over and over in the New Testament, behold, it, it literally means, check this out. What God said, we behold the glory of God. We, we recognize God for it. As we're in God's word, encountering God, we're seeing this, these things and, and, and taking that head knowledge into worship of, wow, look at who God is and what God has done. Beholding the glory. This kind of comes from, from 2 Corinthians 3.18 where, where he changes us from one degree of glory to another. That's how the, the, the transformation takes place of the heart. It's, it's the beholding God. It's, it's the praising Him for who He is and what He has done. It's the being still. The idea in, in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That literally in the Hebrew it means dropping your arms. Not, not holding up here. But be still. Stop trying to do it. And just rest in God and who He is. Be still and know that I am God. In trust, in dependence, in worship. And then to be filled. It says to be filled with the Spirit. This filling of the Spirit. It comes from confessing sin and worshiping God. I'm setting down the things that I'm, right? We're always worshipers. We're worshiping something. There's things that we need to set down, we confess, and then we turn to praise. Lord, this is who you are. I'm gonna celebrate you in that moment. Thanksgiving, thankfulness is a part of all that. I'm so thankful for who you are, what you've done, where I've seen you at work, and where I've seen you exhibit who you are and the characteristics of God in my life. It's that exaltation, it's that process. Sometimes we can read God's word to counter God and we check the box and we never actually take it to worship, to exaltation. Okay, do, we do this. It's like the, the, the owner's manual of my car, right? Which is what do I got to do. Okay, there's a change the, it. Take the cap off. Okay, there, check, check, check. Now do it. And we lose sight of the worship, the, the exaltation. When you exalt, once you encounter God and then you're to exalt Him, now we start to engage and live that out. And you'll be amazed at now as God, as you're filled with the glory of God, of who he is, as you've spent time with him, as you've worshipped him. How are you when you come out of just one of those awesome worship services and and you come out, man, you're on fire, you're just kind of walking like six inches off the ground, you know what I'm saying? And you're just like, man, and everything's good. And and for a little while, that lasts, and then the realities of life, and then we get so sidetracked and all the stuff and the kids and the what... And we need to be rejuvenated, exalt, encounter, exalt. This is a process that takes place many, many times throughout the day. This is an ongoing process. And then we engage. And in this passage, that engagement looks like love. What's he called us to do? To love. How do we do it? We love because we've spent time encountering and exalting God. And then it just becomes a natural outflow of our lives. Encountering, exalting. So how are you doing with that? What's that look like? It, it, it kind of looks like this think of it this way and you may have seen this illustration before maybe not but it's clear glass. that's me that's me this is there at the moment this glass is empty right as we come to Christ and as we are maybe spending time maybe not maybe that and, and we see that we see the glory of God got at work like this water and it starts to fill up this glass and as the glory of God starts to fill us. And so we, we've got there, we've got the command, God is love, he fills us, we're to love others. And so many times though, we, we start to, we got to kind of work at it, right? And so we start to work at it, we, we're working back and forth. It's pretty easy with this glass, but man, if this thing was bigger then, really got to pour and do that. And we work, and all of a sudden then a little bit of love comes out. And okay, that's pretty good, but man, whew, empty again. You get filled back up. And it becomes this arduous saying, and we can love a little bit. Maybe if you get good at it, you can love a little bit more, a little bit more. But, but we're working through, and we're missing the fact that you know, it doesn't have to be hard work. It's not that it's always easy, but the more that we're filled up with, with the love of God, as, more as, we, as much as we behold the glory of God, the more what happens is that he fills us up, What happens? It just naturally flows out. It just naturally flows out. You just can't help but love. Feel free to drink that. (laughs) Right? You feel, and it just starts to just pour out. In what ways? Those are the descriptions that are given. How do we love? We love as an act of worship. You want to you be a better lover? You want to be better at loving the people that are around you? Be a better worshiper. Be, be better at worshiping the creator of the universe. Exalt. Encounter. Exalt. And then engage. Spending time. With the Lord, letting Him fill you up, stopping, being still. I, I, guys, I know it's I can be in sometimes more disciplined than others, but at one of the most disciplined times, man, I get my checklist out. I'm a checklist. I got checklists for my checklist. You know what I'm saying? I got so much stuff going on. We're always juggling, man. Checklists and everything. And I sit down in the morning, and I've got okay. I got 10 minutes. I got and I check. I haven't spent any time with the Lord. Oh, I read the passage for the day or whatever else, but there was no exaltation going on there. There was no beholding the glory of God, seeing him at work and being a part of it. We love out of worship. You wanna be better at loving. You wanna be a church that's on fire, a church that, that, that shows off the love of Jesus Christ. Then be a church that's passionate about the worship of Jesus Christ. You want to be people, individuals, that show off Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. Be people that are passionate worshipers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you. Lord, truly, you are, Lord, Lord you, you are the reason for all that we do. Lord, help us to keep that in mind. So often we, we, want to, uh, we, we want to muscle things. We want to try to do it ourselves, Lord Jesus. Lord, as, as, we're, as we're commanded to love you, Lord, may, may we love you because you've loved us. Lord, may we love you because of how you've just rocked our world. Lord, whether it's it just as we, as we see you in your word, Lord, as we see you at work in our lives, that Lord, we just become such passionate, Worshippers of you. And Lord, that then it just kind of flows out into how we interact with other people, Lord. Lord, for this church right here, Lord, may this church be known for their love. Known for their love for each other. Known for their love, most of all, for you, Lord Jesus. Known for their love for the community that you place them in. Lord, may we love because we know your love. Lord,
0: may you be worshiped in all that we do. We ask this in your.